I will say, though, that this probably is one of the most important situations to proceed slowly. Kind of what RT was talking about. I mean, when it comes to, I don't speak as eloquently when it comes to pain and the nervous system as RT does, but I always tell people that you basically you have a cup and that cup is how much stress your body can take. And so it doesn't mean that it's only physical stress, right? So when you have COVID or an illness, there are mental stressors that go along with it, right? Maybe you have to miss work and you're way behind, or maybe you don't, you know, you're worried about losing your job if you miss too much work, or maybe it was really hard for your partner to care for the kids because you had to isolate and there's a stressor there or whatever it is. If you're an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you're in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, me, Whitney Hines. Hi, and welcome to episode 24 of Runner Clicks, the Passionate Runner podcast. I am your host, Whitney Hines. I'm a lifelong runner, a certified running coach, and founder of themotherrunners.com, a resource for moms who run. And today we hear insights from founders of the physical therapy clinic, The Stride Shop, based in Baton Rouge and New Orleans, Niraj Vora and Ryan R.T. Hill. The Stride Shop is a PT clinic founded just for runners. Don't we all wish we had a clinic like that? near our homes. And we talk about the role the mind plays and our nervous system plays in injury, coming back from injury, and also COVID, plus tips on how to return to running after COVID, which unfortunately is still relevant today. And just a little show note, a puppy is barking in the very beginning, but not throughout the entire show. This is real life people. We are in each other's homes. So just wanted to tell you that. Some more about Niraj and RT. Niraj Vora is a runner. He's been running for more than 20 years. He's also a competitive soccer player. He understands how important running and sport can be to an individual's fitness, mood, and overall wellness. He's completed races from a 5K to ultra relay distances. He runs regularly, so he really understands what runners feel when they have injuries or pain. And his goal is to keep runners out of the traditional model of medicine where you're told to rest and take medication or just stop running altogether. He works with athletes to address their situation as a whole and create the framework for long-term success. And most people can bounce back from injury and accomplish great things with the right guidance, accountability, and communication. Ryan R.T. Hill is a lifelong athlete and a runner and a doctor of physical therapy, and his expertise is in discovering the root cause of an issue so you can be set up for longevity in the sport. His goal is to help you reach your goals. And while he loves helping the elite endurance athlete, he also really loves working with anybody who's motivated to start living a healthier and more active life. We're going to get to this really interesting conversation with RT and Nuraj after this short message from our sponsor, Runner Click. If you are an avid runner and looking for help to understand the science, simplify the complicated, and remove hurdles so that your next run is not only fun and fulfilling, but also fuels you with passion and purpose, then you are in the right place. Runner Click presents The Passionate Runner with your host, Whitney Hines. 
I am here with Niraj and Ryan. Guys, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having us. This is great. Thank you. I would love to know more about your running background and athletic background before we get into the post-COVID return to running chat. Yeah. RT, you want to go first? Yeah. Happy to get rolling. Yeah. So I, you know, compared to Niraj, I'm, I'm a little bit newer to the running game, but I played sports all growing up I'm from Louisiana. So down here, it's a combination of baseball, soccer, and, and basketball where I, where I grew up. And whenever, you know, we, Niraj and I started working together in a sports medicine clinic and started getting more into kind of the mechanics of running and started seeing a lot more patients like that. That's when I started getting more interested and more involved in the kind of the racing aspect. Before then, I was one of those guys that was like, what are y'all out there running from kind of deal? If you weren't like, if you weren't chasing a ball or somebody wasn't chasing you, I was, I was kind of on the offensive what was going on. And so I had this kind of adjustment period of, all right, well, let me just set a race and have a goal that I'm moving towards. And it kind of pretty quickly started to, to catch the bug, I guess, you know, you talk, talk to other people in the running community and they're like, yeah, I don't know what it is. I just feel like I've got to get out there. I've got to keep trying to, to get into it. So I did that. And, and then we went through this, you know, this kind of cycle of when we started up the stride shop and we were seeing patients that were running just absurdly long distances, you know, the hundred milers, ultra marathoners and, and stuff like that. And so I, I said, well, for me to understand what it is that they're going through and, and for me to be able to relate to what that process is, that's when I started getting into some, some longer races and signed up and did an ultra marathon last year. More so, not because I love the running, but more so because I wanted to be better at the therapy aspect of it. So that's kind of that's kind of my history with it. You were a very dedicated physical therapist to put yourself through that, even if you're not necessarily. Because I feel like to do an ultra, you have to be very passionate about it. It was a uh, so when I first it was a it was a fifty miler that I did, and I, I put I kind of pitched it to Niraj first. I was like, look, man. Because he'd done, you know, significantly more um, like programming and coaching and stuff prior to, to that. I was more on the, the rehabilitation side. He was more, you know, experienced with the coaching. And so I was like, hey, I'm going to do 100. And he was like, maybe maybe we pull those reins back a little bit, brother, and we start with a, with a 50. <laughs> and I was like, that's, that's good. I need you on my shoulder to talk the, to be the sense and, you know, realistic one out of this, this partnership. <laughs> Sounds like you guys make a good team. <laughs> I think probably somebody whispered to RT that he couldn't do it, which is why he ended up doing it. Yeah. Like I said, that competitive nature growing up God, can get to me. Yeah. And with running, it's really easy to to kind of get hooked on those big goals, especially when you see other people doing it and wonder, what is it like to push your body to run 100 miles? So maybe next time we chat with you, you'll be able to tell us what it was like for you. <laughs> we'll see. All right. And so new... Niraj, your background is in soccer? Yeah, I grew up playing soccer mostly. Uh, had some basketball and some football and tennis and all kinds of good stuff mixed in, but predominantly soccer. And then when I got into college, I played club soccer as well at LSU. And when I left college, I didn't really have much of a competitive outlet. And um, it was one of those where the guy who lived upstairs from us in grad school talk, started talking to us about half marathons. I signed up and quickly fell in love with the sport. And, um, and that was almost 20 years ago now. So over that time, I've run 
you know, anything from 5K up to the longest I've done is a 40 miler. So I'm not quite as far as RT, but I've run all those distances in between and just really enjoy the process of what goes into running. The nuts and the bolts are great in the clinic, but also I think we do a good job ragging ourselves a little bit of understanding all that goes into running and not just not just the training that you write down and what your workout is going to be, but the mental aspect and, and making sure that we talk to people about nutrition and rest and all those good things. Yeah, I think that's so key. And it's so important to have all those puzzle pieces in place to be healthy and I think it's awesome that you love the process because I think so many runners just get fixated on that goal and they just want to rush their fitness and rush through everything just to get that PR or that BQ or whatever it is that they're going for. So the fact that you're able to already or not already be there, but the fact that you're able to love the process and be at that destination is awesome because I think a lot of people for a lifetime struggle with that. Yeah, I think we also see, you know, you see it in runner's world or you see it on these online forums, these success stories of somebody who picked up the sport and all of a sudden qualified for Boston or, or just started banging out PRs. And that's what we see a lot of, but we don't necessarily see all of the people who struggle. And I think that's the, long, the large majority of us who try to figure out our training and try to figure out how to live life through training and have families and work and, and all those things are real life. Sometimes we don't get to see those things as, as frequently as the others. Yeah, that's so true. And especially on social media too, you see all the wins. You don't necessarily see the struggles and the losses and people DNFing or whatever. So when you guys founded the Stride Shop, what was the intention, I'm assuming by the name, was to target runners or how did that unfold? Yeah, very much so. I think that um, I think that we both had a passion for treating this this population and and there's also just a a lack of proper care for this population. I think generally speaking, if a runner goes to see somebody, they aren't really um, talking to somebody who knows what it's like to go run an 18 miler on a Sunday morning or Saturday morning. And, and, you know, if you tell them that you hurt the last five miles in your foot, it's kind of like, well, don't run past 13 miles then, as opposed to trying to troubleshoot, figure out what exactly it is that is causing something like that. Or why are you even running at all? You know, and we saw that a lot. We worked in those clinics with, with a lot of those people who, and not by their own fault, but they just, they don't do the same thing. And so I think it's really important that if somebody does seek treatment, it's reflected in who they're seeing that, that they understand. And um, that was really probably the biggest impetus for us. I mean, it's selfishly, it's cool to hang out and talk running all day as well. And we both love physical therapy and believe in it. So it seemed like it was... Um, kind of a no-brainer. Yeah. All of my athletes that I coach, I always make sure that if they're seeing a physical therapist or sports med doc, that they understand runners. It is beyond frustrating when you encounter some sort of injury, ache, pain, niggle, whatever, and people look at you and just tell you not to run. And they don't want to actually solve the problem, get to the root cause of what's going on. It's very frustrating when people don't understand that running is actually good for you. And I think in the health field, it's kind of antiquated, but I just feel like running as a sport kind of has like a bad reputation that it's bad for your body. And it's frustrating. Yeah, I think that's changing. Hopefully that's changing some, but, but I think that also us learning more about proper training is probably very helpful to that as well. I think 
that whole idea of the harder you go, the faster you'll be is, is kind of changing as well. The message is getting out that there is, there is some nuance and there is some technique to how you train. And I think RT probably is, is a prime example of that. You know, like, like he said, he wanted to run hundred miles and in his training, he just found out so much about himself and, and all the things that go into training. You know, there were a couple of blog posts that he wrote about, about those things. And I think it speaks really to just understanding all that goes into a single training cycle, let alone years of training. Yeah. RT, what were some of those eureka moments for you? You know, I think it was mostly it's just kind of like, especially for those longer runs like that. One, the amount of time and commitment it takes away from your family was the one, right? So having to just be like, hey, Mary, my wife, uh, I've uh, I've got a four and a half hour training run this weekend. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll kind of see you and you start realizing how much time and dedication you have to have to appropriately dose yourself throughout a week. So it's not just bombarded on one day kind of thing. And then just the number of like nagging injuries that can kind of come up, you know, and I'm in a space where I've got a pretty good handle on, you know, what the body should feel like and, and how to like Niraj said, troubleshoot where are these kind of choke points and areas where I'm getting caught up. And even with that, I'm having to, assess and reassess and and modify my training program and my intensities and pay attention to, you know, those, I don't want to say secondary things because they're just as important, but paying attention to my sleep, what my nutrition is during the entire time, how is my body recovering from, you know, all this additional stress that you're putting through it. And, you know, I have the the benefit of being able to come into work the next day and be like, hey, Niraj, let's talk about this. This is what I'm kind of feeling in this moment. How do we adjust or scale for the next five to 10 days? And, you know, Niroz, I think he hit it is kind of in places that, that we were working in the past before we started this. I think you could even have a really great therapist that was really tuned in to how to coach runners and how to deal with running and had been running with them. But there's certain scenarios where you're seeing two or three patients and you don't have that time to Spend one-on-one with someone and kind of tell them what's, you know, what's going on and get into kind of those little nooks of of different things. So for me, it's just the kind of the constant maintenance throughout the entire thing that that happens. I thought that I was going to get out there and it was just going to be a breeze. You know, I'd be able to just run right through it. And it, it probably, I don't know, a month in, I started having little things that would pop up here and there. Yeah, my husband teases me because I'm like always doing something. If there's a downtime, I'm like doing something that's strengthening something or stretching something or because it is like or rolling something out because it is constant maintenance. And I do feel like especially when you're returning to running, or you're just getting started running as your body and correct me if I'm wrong, but as your body adjusts to the training stress, you just get these little niggles and they pop up for a few days. And that's just kind of a result of your body strengthening. And, and over time, as it gets used to the training load, like that kind of dissipates. But I do feel like those little aches and pains are pretty common when you're just getting started for the first couple months. Is that something? Is that true? That's kind of been my experience. For sure. And like the the aches and pains are are one thing it's it's or once a athlete clients that we see, they'll start getting kind of past that aches and pains. They think, okay, this is supposed to happen. I'm supposed to get this. And then you start kind of running into that overtraining area where you're, they're just fatigued all the time. And it feels like their legs are getting heavier and heavier. 
and the body's just not having that chance to to recover. And at that point, then you're kind of setting yourself up for for those long term kind of injuries and just lack of progress. How can you draw the line between what runners call a niggle, which is like a little? Have you guys heard that term before? Yeah, yeah like the little aches and pains that kind of pop up and they maybe last for a few days, but you're not sure if you should take a rest day or a couple of rest days versus like, oh my goodness, this is going to turn into a full-blown injury. I need to take several days off. And is there like a way, is there a crystal ball for a runner to look into and figure out like, okay, this is something I can train through. And this is something that I need to, that needs to be reckoned with. Yeah, I think our background would probably be a beach in Tahiti or something like that. (laughs) Mountain home Uh, right now. We have those answers. It's really hard. And, uh, you know, RT touched on it, too. We both train and in our training, there are times where we feel something and we ask each other, you know, or we have each other to rely on for those things. And we work in the setting. So to there are times where as therapists, we're like, man, how did that person keep going? How did they not know this was going to get worse? And the reality is, I don't know that it's fair to to think that somebody who doesn't necessarily do what we do or have a medical background but or, or even a ton of experience in the sport should be able to assess that. It's really, really challenging sometimes. And then you throw in that, you know, you've set this goal and all, all of a sudden you've told everybody you know that you're running this half marathon in three weeks and your foot hurts. Well, it's really hard to say, oh, I don't know if I should keep going, you know? So there are lots of pressures that go into making those decisions and when you should see somebody and when you shouldn't and when you should rest or, or cross train. But I don't know that there's a really great way to assess that. I mean, the simplest thing that I'll say is that, you know, there are a lot of injuries that warm up as we run, right? And those tend to be tendon and soft tissue muscle kind of injuries that maybe get better as we go. But if you have an injury that every time you start to run, it's just getting worse and worse. I mean, I think that's a red flag for sure, if not at least a yellow flag. And those are like simple ways that we also assess whether there's bone involved. And when there's bone involved, it can be a lot more challenging to suss out what exactly is going on. But yeah, if it's getting better as you go, you know, it's probably one of those things that you tend to run through until you can't. But if it's getting worse as you go, it's not, it's probably not going to go away very quickly. What if it stays the same? Yeah. So when you start running and stays the same throughout, well, depending on where you're at, you know, if I'm somebody who's running three miles three times a week and and there's a pain there, I may go a year, two years and just have that and never get it treated. That doesn't mean it's the right way to go about it. But, you know, I've seen people that way. But I think eventually it's going to impact your training in some way. You're not getting faster. You, your gait pattern is altered and it hurts somewhere else. Or it's just not enjoyable to run anymore because pain isn't fun. But generally speaking, if it's not going away and it's been a month, it's been two months, I think that's a good reason to seek out some advice. After what amount of time should people consider going to see a PT or a health pro? If it, the pain's been around for a week, two weeks, if they've taken a couple days off and it's still there, any advice there? Yeah, I mean, I think the same thing. If I don't know, anything after two weeks for me, if you're continuing to train, it doesn't necessarily mean that, and I think that's why it's important to see somebody who runs too, because if, if you're able to train without making a, a situation worse, there may be a, a fairly straightforward solution that can keep you training and address what's going on. But if you wait four or five months and have carried that pain and that injury for that long, it becomes a little bit harder a lot of times to treat that. So 
I would say sooner is better. And that goes against a lot of human nature and especially runners. We just want to keep going. Right. But certainly if something's been the same for two weeks, three weeks and you're training the same, or if you've taken time and it's not getting better, or if you've decreased your volume or your intensity and the pain is just what it is, I'd say that's a good reason to seek treatment. Because there is a point in time, it's, is it six weeks that then it's technically chronic and that means that, and I could be way off base here, but that your brain is then used to like sending pain signals. So even if it is getting better. That's a great question. That's right up Artie's alley. He's, uh, he's, uh, he's into the brain neural pathways of pain. He's, he's kind of an expert. So I'll let him take that. Yeah. And that's exactly right. Right. So once you start getting into that kind of that chronic pain, zone and you know six weeks is probably mark i think it can happen sooner than that depending on kind of the intensity of the pain and how much your body feels like it's in a threatening situation right so that goes into one the biological components of it like what is the structural you know damage that's in a certain area but then the psychological right so what's the meaning behind the pain is it keeping you from you know running with your friends from a social setting is it a fitness type of thing that's you're not able to do as effectively as you want to, right? So kind of what is the meaning behind it? And then the social aspect of pain, which is the those things like the what's your stress at home, what's your stress at work, the nutrition, the sleep, and all those things. And so you take that combination of things, and that's what your brain piles all that together and says, okay, here's how much of a pain signal that I should send. And so if one or any of those three things are out of whack, you tend to get more of a a cyclical pain signal. And to what you were saying, uh, after six weeks of getting that pain signal back and forth, it's kind of like the analogy I give is you're walking through the woods and you're bushwhacking your way through a path. Well, eventually the more you walk that path, the easier it is to get through those, those woods like that. And that's what's happening with the pain signal. The more that pain signal works its path, the easier it is to send that signal to that area. And so biologically that area may heal, Structurally, it may be really sound, but your body still senses a threat because it's used to sending that that protective mechanism signal. And, and then you have to start kind of finding ways to marry and merge that neuromuscular mind body, sending that non-threatening response to to whatever areas uh, is injured or given that, that pain cycle. Yeah, I love that stuff. And so in that... <laughs> And so if you're working with a runner who is experiencing something like that, you would assign certain exercises that kind of tell the body like, hey, it's okay if I put weight on my foot or, and then also like the return to run, hey, this is okay. And as you ease back in, like over time, your body starts to learn that this action is not actually a threat anymore and I can chill out. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So a lot of the stuff that I end up doing with, with the patients and clients that come in is one intent and awareness of what's actually getting used in the body. Right. So it's not just, Hey, give me 10 reps of these. It's do 10 reps of this, but I want you to focus on this very specific part of the body and how it feels. Right. So one making that, that connection. I do a lot of like deep breathing exercises as a preparatory to doing exercising or, or running for, for my patients just to tap into that rest and rejuvenation recovery system, right? So the more that we can send that signal, you know, activate an area, send a signal to the brain that non-threat, you know, start to carve that pathway, the better. So lots of breathing that I'll do with them. 
um, when it's not hurting so bad, I'll have them laying back and really focusing on that area and just kind of watching what the pain is kind of doing. Is it, is it expanding? Is it getting smaller? Is it throbbing? Is it warm? And being able to really connect with it and describe what the sensation truly is in that region. Because if you can start to do that, then pain is no longer this umbrella term. You're getting more specific into what's the true sensation that's happening through there. And if you can do that while the body's in a calm and protected state, now you're starting to send that signal and you're changing that connection between the brain and the body in those regions. And I think we may we may cover this when we start talking about COVID as well. But I know they're like the parasympathetic versus the sympathetic nervous system probably play a role as well in this as you're you're talking about the breathing exercises and kind of calming the nervous system. Is that right? I mean, that's also kind of playing into the recovery. Yeah. So the more that we can tap into the parasympathetic system when it comes to to injuries, chronic injuries specifically, the better that recovery is going to be. Can you define what those systems are and then the roles that they play or may play in an injury and someone recovering from an injury? Yeah. So the sympathetic nervous system or basically the nervous system, central nervous system breaks down into two different components, the, the sympathetic fight or flight system and the parasympathetic rest, rejuvenation, recovery type of system. And examples of those are if I'm in the, the room right now, I open the door and there's a lion in my living room, sympathetic system is going to kick on and I, I, my muscles going to tighten up. My digestive system is going to shut down. My body is getting ready to either flee the area or fight for my life. Right. And we see that system tap in or turn on when we do things like public speaking for the first time. Right. Asking someone on a date for the first time, thinking about paying our taxes, stress at home, stress at work, all of that's turning that in where the body starts to start breathing a little bit more, you know, firmly, the heart rate starts to elevate a little bit. That's the sympathetic nervous system. And it's very tough for the body to recover and recuperate when it's constantly in that, that zone. So going back to when we were talking about pain and the biopsychosocial concept of it, that psychological and that social, social concept, if they're feeding that sympathetic nervous system all the time, then it's very tough for the body to get the resources and recover the way that it needs to. The other side of that, the parasympathetic system, is what our body does when it gets in that really calm, really relaxed state. So meditation is very great in getting our bodies into this. When you go and get a massage and they've got the, the dim lights and the soft music and all the nice smells that, that kind of help your body relax, that's your body getting into that state where it says, okay, I'm, you know, let's calm down and recover. And the heart rate starts to, to drop a little bit. The breathing rate slows down. The muscles don't tense up as much. And your body has this chance to actually recover from whatever it was that, that you were in. You know, where chronic pain individuals get into trouble is they spend far more of their time in that sympathetic system, which we need, right? We need it because it's how it's a protective mechanism. We need it when we're in a competitive environment, but we have to have that ability to get out of that zone and recover appropriately. Otherwise you have those chronic issues. That's really interesting. I struggled with a hamstring injury. I had a hamstring tear. I was trying to qualify for the Olympic trials. So I still trained through it and ran my marathon. And I 
tried for a year to recover. And so I clearly had a chronic injury and I tried everything and I didn't run for a very, very long time. And finally, I just stopped all my PT, stopped cross training and I walked and I got a massage every week. (laughs) And that's when I finally got over the hump. And it never occurred to me that a lot of it was probably because I finally was like calming my nervous system and allowing my body to actually recover and heal and build back those neuro pathways in a way that, you know, the pain signals weren't shooting through so easily. So yeah, that's fascinating. That definitely like rings true to my experience with my high hamstring injury. So in line with that, recovering from injury, lots of people have what I like to call injury PTSD, where you're just so afraid of re-injury or any little pain that pops up and you're just like hyper aware. And I've had to have, you know, friends and my physical therapist talk me off a ledge anytime something pops up or anytime like, you know, you have a little bit of pain at the injury site that it's okay. Like your body is just super aware right now, but it's not actually in trouble. So is this a thing? Like, is am I crazy or is injury PTSD or whatever it's called a thing? <laughs> I think you can term it injury PTSD. I think that's fine. But yeah, it's, it's what we were kind of just talking about, right? So you start to have that sensation. Let's take your high hamstring, for example. You have this initial injury. Your body goes through the, the healing kind of process. You do all the right things. You're in PT for a year, right? Over a year, from a tissue standpoint, that should be healed, right? depending on how you were loaded throughout that entire year of of PT, but it's affecting your ability to do something that you want to do, right? The part of an identity that you have. And so as soon as you feel something there, you get this little bit of anxiety and this little bit of a, of fear, right? That's something still going on in that area. And so one area of your brain says, Hey, memory area, have we had something happen in this area before? Well, yeah. Frontal cortex of the brain that's happened before. Was it a threat before? Was it something that was threatening to our way of life, our identity in some sort? Yeah, it was. What did we do the last time? We sent a pain signal to it. And so it sends that signal down there again. And it's very quick because that's the signal that it knows how to send down down there. You see a similar type of deal with people, for instance, that have had a like whiplash injury in a car or something like that, where they'll have this injury and it's healed over time and, and you can get them in the clinic and they can turn their head every which way you can stress them and there's no problem. But the second they get into a car, there's enough variables that are similar to that time when they got injured that they start to have this pain and the body starts to tense up and go back into that sympathetic protective mechanism that they had before. Right? So a, a PTSD for, for sitting in a car. I think you see this a lot of times with like, hamstring injuries with football or, or soccer players, for instance, right? He, you have an injury and you go through practice and all the rigors of stressing that tissue as hard as you can. But until you've simulated game speed and the environment and people running at you from different angles and, or the cuts or the sounds and all these other environments that are overstimulating you, you don't know for sure that your body's not going to react with a pull it again, protect it type of reaction. So yeah, injury PTSD, I think is a thing. Is a thing, even for athletes and recreational runners. Okay, so the role of the mind in injury is really, this is fascinating. I want to switch gears kind of, but it's still in a similar vein and talk about returning to running after COVID because the nervous system and the and 
signals that the mind is sending also play a role in this. But before we get to that, I would love to just kind of hear some of your experiences so far, either personally or with some of the patients you treated with the return to running after COVID. Um, Obviously, it it varies so much from person to person, but just kind of any like key takeaways from what you've seen in your lives and at your work. Yeah. So I'll just speak to it from kind of something you're familiar with, with you probably, which is like coaching athletes, right? And, And so I also had COVID and, you know, there's you hear, yeah, it's going to be slow. It's going to be tough. You hear about it, but until you, until you experience it, you don't realize quite, at least for me, I'll speak to me. It it was, I had probably seven, eight, nine weeks of, of training that I just did not enjoy. It was, it was tough every time I went out and it was um, frustrating and discouraging. And I found the same with the athletes that I've coached, those of them that have had COVID recently or, or in the past, there's probably, it seems like, and this is very anecdotal with the, with the clients that I've coached, but there's like this the two and a half month kind of phase in which hopefully if, if COVID hasn't been severe, there are still these lingering effects that make running really challenging. Everything's unfamiliar again. It's hard to gauge effort. It's hard to gauge intensity. It's hard to even sometimes get started again. And I think there's just so little we know about COVID and its role and how it affects people individually that as a coach or an athlete, it's really hard to know where you should pick up, where you can push and where you can't push. And I think RT had a very similar experience to, to that as well, which he can probably speak to. Yeah, mine was a, it was a little bit different. So I was in the middle of that training for that ultra and I thought it was, you know, symptomatic wise, I thought it was just a head gold like I get every, every year type of deal. And I was, I was teaching at Tulane at the time. I was covering some shifts at the hospitals. And so they both had me get tested, both popped a positive for one of those first variants. And for the most part, for me, I was able to keep, you know, isolated, but I was able to go outside, keep distance and, and still kind of train. My biggest issue that I had was I'd be doing great, but all of a sudden I would maybe get a little more sun exposure than a then I needed or I'd get a little bit overheated and my heart rate would just skyrocket. Like it would happen out of, out of nowhere. And so I'd have to shut it down, calm down, walk, a, you know, kind of walk it out from that area. And, and it's kind of wild, all the different, you know, the amount of variability that clients are having and patients are having coming in. It's high heart rate. It's, you know, the chest tightness. It's this just kind of standard fatigue part of it's deconditioning from isolating for the 10 days that we have, you know? So it's, I, it seems like everyone's kind of got a, a different story. They're a little bit the same, but everyone's got their own kind of take on how they felt and how they recovered from it. And so it's, it's literally a person by person in my experience so far has been, there's no just standard, Hey, this is how long it's going to take you to get back to training where you were. Here's what you can expect. It's just, it's not, you kind of, play it by ear and, and adjust as you can in the safest way you can. I will say though, that this probably is one of the most important situations to proceed slowly. Kind of what RT was talking about. I mean, when it comes to, I don't speak as eloquently when it comes to pain and the nervous system as RT does, but I always tell people that you basically, you have a cup and that cup is how much stress your body can take. And so it doesn't mean that it's only physical stress, right? So when you have COVID or an illness, 
there are mental stressors that go along with it, right? Maybe you have to miss work and you're way behind, or maybe you don't, you know, you're worried about losing your job if you miss too much work, or maybe um, it was really hard for your partner to care for the kids because you had to isolate and there's a stressor there or whatever it is. All those things add up, right? And then if you go out and you're like, man, it's just been so long and I, it's been so hard, I've got to get this intense workout in. It's just going to feel better if I do it. That can turn into you know, an injury, physical injury, as opposed to just struggling from COVID, right? So I think that if there's anything that, that I've taken away from it, it's proceed with caution more than pushing through. That's just a COVID is not something that I've, in my experience, seen people push through and do very well with. Yeah, I think that's the only common thread is that I have yet to meet a runner that pushed through and it went well for them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> You know, COVID is just, even if it's a mild case, it's still not something that you want to mess with. I came back, I tried to come back too soon and my heart was, heart rate was nuts. And that's when I went and saw a doctor and they explained to me that, you know, the roles that the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems were playing. And even just knowing that and knowing kind of like the reason behind why my heart rate was so high and I was having difficulty breathing and just helped calm me. And I was given steroids and an inhaler and that seemed to help too. But I think a lot of runners do have that elevated heart rate and it lasts, it lingers for a while, but from hopefully for a lot of people, it eventually goes away. But it is something like that you, after you've taken your rest and you're, you know, you've been symptom free for a while, you can run with it. You just have to be mindful of it, that it doesn't get too high and that you're not struggling too much. I mean, is that kind of your experience and what you guys did and what you advise? That's how I approach it. You know, one of the first things I'll, I'll start talking about with someone who comes in that's, that's trying to get back to it is you have to realize that your body's been fighting an infection for however long you've been down. Maybe it's 10 days. Maybe you're, you were fighting it for weeks. You know, and your body only has so many resources that it can utilize at a given time. And if you try and go right back to the training that you were doing before, you don't have those resources where you were at. And so your body's already kind of primed to break down easier or get sick again because it's just it's been fighting. It's been an adult fight for for however long. Right. So that that slow progressive approach to it where you can add a little bit to that cup that Niraj was taking about at a time is, is the way to go about it. Right. And so there's small things that I'll suggest. I'll say, you know, if you're just getting back to it, make sure your runs are pretty close to home so that if you need to start walking, you can get back to your house and you're not too far away from where the end point is. Right. Don't let all of the, like the other issues impact or put more of your, put more stress on your body, right? So make sure you're getting the appropriate sleep. Make sure that you're hydrating days before a run, right? Make sure that you're taking in the right amount of calories so that your body has the fuel to burn. Like don't let those be the reasons that your body starts to have to, to fight and work more than what it has the capability to do. Don't have to. That's all I was going to say. Yeah. I just had a, I had an interesting conversation with one of my athletes this past weekend that I coach. And she's, I think, had COVID at the end of June. And so now it's been a couple of months. And, you know, probably over the last three or four weeks, she got really frustrated and just kind of voiced the um, frustration in, in the form of, I just need a break. 
it's not going well. And so she took a break for a couple of weeks and she told me that she went out for a run last week. And, you know, throughout this time, she's been able to continue strength training. So she's, we've kind of put together this strength training program for her over the summer, which is going to lead into a bigger training cycle. And so she said that she kind of felt the benefits of the strength training and that her legs were just carrying her. I mean, she, she was like, I, I it felt easy, but about three miles into that run and she was holding a pace that felt like it was way faster than her easy runs were before cardiovascularly. She just, she just hit a wall. And, and I think that that speaks to what you both were talking about, right? Is that you just don't know how it's going to present in people. And perhaps, you know, maybe there is some, some validity to the idea that if running is becoming a really a slog or a drag, when you're recovering from COVID, explore other, explore other movements, you know, whether it be lifting a weight or getting on a bike, or maybe it isn't cardiovascular. Sometimes it's just walking. It's more important to kind of get, get your mind clear than it is to feel like you're going to um, gain some fitness. So I think we just have to be open-minded in, in the recovery because we just don't know a lot about it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's definitely an overlap with an injury is that you it takes you it may take you a while to get there, but to focus on what you can do. And if you can find an activity that may actually, you know, benefit your running in the long run, such as strength training, then all the better that especially like mentally that helps you grapple with taking time off like, well, you know, this will help me when I finally can return. So I think that's great advice, too. Yeah, I mean, there has to be another outlet, right? Yes. <laughs> a runner who can't run definitely needs some sort of yeah. outlet. Any other tips that you have for people that may be kind of in this gray area where they're they're coming back or maybe they just found out that they have it? Like if you have actually before you answer that question, if you have an athlete or a patient who just uh, you know, just tested positive is there like amount of time that you tell them that they need to take off or what kind of are, what's your, your guidelines for when they can try running or walking again? Yeah. I don't know that there's a timeline. I think that's really individual to people, but at least kind of explaining some of these things that RT talked about and he'll probably take, you know, his path, which is very much explaining from a kind of cellular level of what's going on in the body, which is great because he can, he can translate that for, for people, but I, you know, like what you talked about when you have like just your doctor talking to you about the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system and explaining that ringing true for you, just like kind of clarified things and maybe made you feel better. Maybe you had less pain with that. But I think that somebody who has experienced it maybe can speak to somebody a little bit more about what to expect and why it won't be beneficial to push through. But both RT and I are in our practice are huge proponents of the jog walk and I know that walking is kind of a bad word sometimes for for runners but I just think that the the benefits of walking heavily outweigh trying to you know run an extra mile or, or three miles and just hating it you know if you just replace that with a 10 or 15 minute or 20 minute walk I think it's probably better for you from head to toe Oh, totally. I actually learned to love walking yeah. when I had to walk. I mean, it is very peaceful and it's a good stress relief and it's still an escape. And as far as my injury was concerned, it, it actually was better than any of the other cross training I was doing as far as readying my body for running, because it was like a similar type of loading of my hamstring. So yeah. 
I'm all for walking and all for run walks too, especially as you're coming back from anything. Walking's a saving grace. Yeah, I think sometimes, I'm glad you said that. I think sometimes, and this may not be in the t- context of COVID, but I think sometimes healthcare professionals, ourselves included at some point, maybe miss the mark when we talk about, you know, what aqua jogging or cycling as the best forms of cross training for runners. I, I, I'm not on that train anymore and I probably was early on in my career, but if you're going to pick one of them, uh, in most cases, depending on the injury sometimes, but walking is certainly probably going to give you the most bang for your buck in a lot of cases. Yeah, I agree. And I, man, aqua jogging, I don't know how people do it. (laughs) It's so boring. Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. (laughs) I mean, I kudos to people that can do it. I tried and I was like, this just, it's too much of a hassle. I mean, running is a great because you just put on your shoes and you go but you have to drive to a pool and take a shower and it's you're not able to look at pretty scenery anyways sorry to hate on aqua jogging i did not mean to go down that <laughs> but are you guys training for anything right now i am not i've probably been at the lowest volume and frequency of running than i've been in in a long time for these last six months and Part of that's just mentally, I've I've kind of unplugged a little bit and I'm still running some, but it's just a phase of life in which I've moved and kind of we expanded locations and things are just, life is changing a whole lot. So I've I've just uh, kind of unplugged a lot from training and I have really enjoyed kind of maybe digging and reflecting on what my training means to me. So racing just hasn't been a priority for me. So yeah, my training is not very substantial right now. Well, the unstructured running is definitely important. Yeah, it's been great. So for me, I you know I pivoted a little bit from running. I, I myself and a a buddy of mine who I don't know if everyone has that person in their life that they're just like, what if we did this? And then you're like, well, yeah, we should definitely oh, no. do that. It's probably <laughs> a terrible idea. But he had moved out to to Colorado and and he got into hiking. And so the goal was to uh, to summit Mount Rainier this year. And so most of my training has, you know, been trying to figure out how to train for that in New Orleans and Louisiana, which is right. somehow you can always run downhill in New Orleans. I don't even know how it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I, you know, I... I got to imagine the heat training helps though, right? <laughs> That's kind of like elevation. We'll say that. We'll say that. <laughs> <Kind> <laughs> the, of. The, the advantage that I have on him out there. But, you know, I think with some... You know, personal stuff that's come up, I don't know that that's going to be able to, to happen this year. And I've got to spend a little bit of time overseas next year. So right now, it's just kind of we're in a baseline kind of holding pattern maintenance right now. Marty also has a uh, an eight-month-old at home, so that probably puts a damper on some things. He's getting close yeah, to where I, I can put him in the so. stroller, though, and, <laughs> and start running him around. I'm sure some people have him, you know, out of the womb and running in a stroller, but we're getting there. It can be a challenge, especially then once they start to learn to walk. Once my kids learned to walk, they were like, this is no way. Yeah. I'm out of here. Get me out of here. And that's kind of when my stroller runs were done. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> we had an incident last week. He started crawling, you know, about a week and a half, two weeks ago. And it was one of those deals where I put him down in one place, walked out of the room for a second to feed my dog and came back and he was no longer there. <laughs> he was in the middle of the room and I was like, okay, all right, well, things have changed. This is one of those moments where uh, life, life's a little bit different now. 
Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. It's fun, though. It is definitely fun, but you have to stay on your toes for sure. (laughs) Well, that's awesome. Well, guys, I've learned so much from you. So thank you so much for, I mean, this conversation went places that I didn't even know that it would go. So thanks for teaching me so much. And I'm sure the listeners are going to learn a lot. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. This is fun. Thanks. You too. All right. Thanks, Winnie. Thank you, Niraj and RT, and thank you all for listening to The Passionate Runner. You can find the full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any of the resources we mentioned at runnerclick.com slash podcast. And be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from the episodes, we'd love it if you leave a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash The Passionate Runner, and we'll read these out on future episodes. We'll talk to you next time. Oh,